like it. Oftentimes, I think a preacher will have somebody in church, maybe it's somebody he knows, but not everybody that comes to his church would know them, and you'd like to know a little bit more about them. Actually, I do not know uh, Dr. Tim Pledger well at all, uh, but I happen to know his nephew, right? Can do his nephew? And uh, should be enough for me not to invite him here, but uh, anyway. Uh, the more he told me about him, the more intrigued I was to have him here uh, to help us. Here's a little bit about him. Tim Pledger was born into a Christian home, Ken and Barbara Pledger, on September 14, 1969. Uh, he was saved in Independent Baptist Temple in Van Buren, Arkansas, at the age of nine, uh, on December the 5th, 1978. This church was his father's first pastorate. At 15 years of age, Tim was called to preach. Fifteen. I'm just saying, we're waiting too long to pay attention to, to God wanting to use people. Emmanuel Baptist Church in Pontiac, Michigan, of course, that's Dr. Tom Malone in an evening service. In 1992, Brother Pledger graduated from Trinity Bible College, uh, Jacksonville, Florida. If uh, Dr. Bob Gray. And uh, so it was uh, there he felt called to missions under the ministry of Dr. Bob Gray, uh, former pastor of, ten of, of Trinity. He was ordained into the gospel ministry the same year after spending three years with his father uh, serving as youth director at Calvary Baptist Church in Middlesburg, Florida. He left to serve with Baptist missions to forgotten people and a church planter in southwestern Nigeria, West Africa in 1996. During these six years, he founded the Independent Baptist Bible Institute and Solid Rock Independent Baptist Church in, I'm not going to try to pronounce it, uh, as well as two other churches in nearby towns. The Lord used the labors of this church to see more than 30,000 Americans come to Christ, Americans, Africans come to Christ. In 2003, Brother Pledger returned to the U.S. and assumed pastorate of Sixth Avenue Baptist Church in Brooklyn, New York. The inner city work grew from less than 20 members to an average of 100 during uh, the, his tenure there. In 2007, Brother Pledger returned to Calvary Baptist Church where his father, Dr. Ken Pledger, was serving as the senior pastor for more than three decades. He's been up here to preach. Brother Tim served as the associate pastor of Calvary Baptist Church and school administrator at Calvary Christian Academy for 14 years. He currently serves as a missions director of All Nations Outreach Ministry established in 2008. This local church ministry is responsible for more than uh, 232,000 souls being saved around the world in 182 nations and has helped plant dozens of local churches. Brother Pledger has preached the gospel in 54 African countries throughout, his, throughout this ministry. He loves missions, is uh, unique, and not his missions. He loves, his love of missions is unique in that he not only has the academic knowledge to teach in a classroom, but also has the practical experience of planting churches, training nationals, and winning the lost in third world countries. Tim and his wife, Kimberly, serve the Lord at Calvary Baptist Church in Middlesburg, Florida, as well as minister on the mission field uh, yearly. Kimberly uses her talents as pianist and soloist, uh, while Tim is the evangelist and ministers to the hearts of the people around the world. And he goes on with his credentials from there. Uh, I like having people with experience instead of people who have read books and say, I think I know. 
Uh, okay, that's one thing. But the other thing is, how do you know it'll work? Until you put it into practice. Faith without works is dead. And uh, knowledge without practical experience really doesn't influence me a whole lot. I want to know what's going on. I'm not, I, I'm not against helping younger guys and girls get started. But when it comes time to learn how to do something, I want to know somebody that knows what they're talking about. So I'm very pleased to have these two men with us. And uh, he's going to preach first, but he wants to show a video first. Is that correct? Fellas, are we ready up there? Thank you very much. How can we help the national? Where do we locate those who need our help? How can we be sure that they are doctrinally sound? With social media, the third world has linked itself to the West. Many good-hearted people in America give to causes that promote a social gospel but never address the need of man's soul. Some charitable givers are even scammed online to help orphans and widows only to find out later that the money was never used for the cause it was intended. Some churches may help establish ministries global by networking with foreign pastors later to find out their giving has been used to spread false teaching. The National was established by the All Nations Outreach Ministry through Calvary Baptist Church in Middleburg, Florida to connect you with Bible-believing church planters globally. The National Church Planters that we serve alongside are proven men. We have been to their churches, learned their history, been a part of their training, and sent once and again unto their necessities. The members of Calvary Baptist Church are missionaries, and since January of 2008 have been sent from our church internationally to evangelize the lost and help serve in local churches. This was the objective and vision of our pastor, Ken Pledger, in the year prior to Anom's humble beginnings. Through much prayer, strategizing, and coordination of fundraising within our church body, these past 15 years, 76 members have been on 67 trips to 176 nations preaching the good news of Christ. We are humbled that God has used us to see thousands of people come to Christ, hundreds baptized, and dozens of new churches established. In 2022 alone, Calvary has been a part of starting 60 new churches around the globe. We have done so because we have become partners with the national and those who train them. Several years ago when I was introduced with working with the nationals, I was just, I've been amazed at how God has blessed and used the nationals and blessed Calvary Baptist Church because of it. These men are well-trained. They're doing a phenomenal job. Many of them are doing much better than most of us here in America are. And uh, the sad thing is, is they're, they're very poor in most areas, uh, living on just a very minimal, minimal amount of money and doing some phenomenal, phenomenal jobs. And so let me share with you some of the things that Calvary Baptist Church has been doing over the last several years and encourage you to maybe participate in some of them, okay? We started off with the what we call the Jesus films. Our people uh, bought those Jesus films for $700 a piece. Uh, we put them in uh, areas where missionaries can take them back into remote areas, into villages, small towns. And it's amazing the number of people that will sit for over an hour. And uh, sometimes three, four, five hundred people will sit for over an hour. 
and then they stop and preach the gospel to them. We average getting records of over 1,500 people saved every month from those Jesus films. And that's not all of them that are being, that we get a report on, but God's just blessed those. And then we started doing the church plants. Uh, we uh, send $600 to a national that is starting a new church. They use it for different purposes. Uh, some of them just to build a little lean-to, uh, to have services in, uh, buy chairs, build a pulpit, that type of things. And it just uh, $600 to us may not be much, but to them, it's a great, great blessing. Uh, having Bibles, we, we have so many Bibles here in America, but uh, many of those uh, churches in other places uh, none of the people have Bibles. Sometimes the pastor don't even have a full Bible. And so uh, you could help with contributing to the, our Bible fund to get Bibles into the hands of God's people there. Here's in, another one. We have bought several uh, motorcycles for the preachers. And for about $1,000, you can buy a motorcycle. And those guys can use those to get back into remote areas and villages up into the mountains preach the gospel, have people saved, help them start new uh, churches there. Um, this one's something brand new that we've just started doing, and that is uh, helping them get established with a Bible Institute here in America that's doing a great job training people here in America. And for $800, you could uh, have a part in helping a national that's training his own men and women for the ministry to uh, get connected with a Bible Institute here in America and uh, train them from with great, great uh, uh, teachers and professors on how to build churches, how to win souls, how to study the Bible. Uh, just a great, great thing. And then uh, just maybe on a monthly support. These guys don't need a whole lot. It's amazing what they can do with just uh, a little bit of money. You could uh, take on one of the missionaries, one of the nationals for $50 a month or something. And that would be a phenomenal, phenomenal uh, blessing. So let me encourage you. I tell you, God has blessed Calvary Baptist Church because we've reached out to the nationals and trying to get the gospel around the world and helping those that are in desperate need. And uh, choose uh, maybe one or two of these things that, that you could do as a church or you could do as an individual. I promise you, God will bless you and bless your church if you'll do some of these things or all of them. Any way we can help you, we'd love to be a part of it, okay? God bless you. Will you help All Nations Outreach Ministry assist the national?
seated here tonight. Uh, you can be seated. Let me just say a word about your church and about your hospitality. I've enjoyed being here these couple of days. I've really enjoyed staying at the Coker Resort that I've been staying at and eating the fine foods of Brother Ben and his hospitality and his wife. And uh, I thank God for your church. There are a lot of churches in America, a lot of good churches, and you all have a great place to come and serve the Lord. I hope you never get used to the place that God has given you. Uh, it only takes just a stroke of the hand of God, and you lose the blessings of God in different areas of your life. So you ought to always be thankful for the place God has planted you and make it the best place you can make it for the glory of God. And I thank your pastor for allowing me. I don't. I, I said to my nephew Ryan when I was coming up here, I said I feel a little bit like I'm going to be there with Brother Mel because he's sort of the Cadillac version of missions, and I'm the Volkswagen, you know. So if you like Volkswagens, I'm up here tonight, and I hope you enjoy the Volkswagen version, 1970 model or something like that. But uh, we're glad to be here. And I, and I and I've thought about what I was going to preach tonight that would be more that would be meaningful to you. And I struggled even before I came up thinking about it because I'd had some conversation with Brother Celia and and some uh, some conversation uh, with your pastor and learning some of his desires of what he wants for your church. I'm going to try to bring you a message tonight that I've only preached one time, and it's at our local church in Florida. And it's more its more on the idea tonight of how we began our all-nations outreach ministry and the concept behind it, you know. And uh, on Sunday, I'll talk more about the nationals that we help support. Um, in 2007, and this is not part of the sermon, this is introducing to you what you saw in the video, I guess. In 2007, November, my father, who's pastored our church now for 36 years, preached in November of 07 on a Sunday night, a sermon, and he made some really dynamic comments in his sermon about our local church. He said something like this, when Jesus spoke the Great Commission in Mark 16, Matthew 28, he was not speaking to a group of churches, he was speaking to one church, and he was saying to that church, go ye into all the world, preach the gospel. It was the church at Jerusalem. And he said, I just believe, he said in that sermon, I just believe that God wants our church, our church, to take the gospel to the 195 nations of the world and begin to share Jesus in foreign lands. Sort of like you have a bus ministry and you divide up your town or your city and you start courting off different areas. You do the same thing with the world. And you begin to say, we're going to bear some fruit from every nation. We're going to bear some fruit from every nation. It seemed like an overwhelming idea even when he first mentioned it because there, between the nations and the territories, there's close to 250 of those altogether. And, and the idea of one church in Middleburg, Florida, we just got common people in our church. We don't have any high, high rollers or anybody. When I get around some of y'all that know IT, I think, man, if we could steal him away to Florida. Yeah. Uh, but we don't have all that kind of, you know, people in our church. Not very many of them know that kind of stuff. And so when he said that, it seemed like an overwhelming idea that God would use one church to take the gospel to every nation. And uh, so we sat down in December, and we began to divide up the world into different sections. And we began to say every year, for example, myself, I have an affinity for Africans. I can go to any nation, even in Europe, and I can find the African population. Uh, I, I love, I'm more African than I am American, really. Uh, and I, tomorrow night, I'm going to wear my Yoruba. You know Yoruba? I'm going to wear my Yoruba shirt to the, to the dinner tomorrow night. And, uh, and, I, and I love the culture of the African people. 
And, uh, and so he said to me, you're going to be the one that heads up Africa. And every year you're going to take a group down to Africa and you're going to find new local churches to partner with. You're going to find new places to take the gospel. And we're going to come alongside people and just try to help them on evangelism and areas where their church might be struggling. And we're going to take what the Lord's gifted us in and we're going to try to convey that to local Bible preaching churches. We didn't intend to really start making it a, a national indigenous church planter ministry. We just said we're going to take the gospel to every nation we can take it to. So over a period of now 15 years have passed. 15 years have passed. And now our members, not somebody else's members, our members have taken the gospel to 182 different nations and territories. And many of those places we've been back multiple times. We've raised every single penny on our own shoulders. We hadn't had outside help that supported our missions trips and have said, we'll buy your plane tickets. We hadn't had other churches. We just did in-house fundraising and sacrificing of people's vacation time. And it's been mostly layman driven. It's, been, it's not been staff guys that have been on all these missions trips. It's been staff guys that have gone, but it's been the layman sitting on. And, and here's why I believe this message I'm going to talk to you tonight is so vital. Your preacher said to me just the other day, he said, we've got a young church. Now, you know what young people have? they got lots of energy. Might be for the bad things, but they got lots of energy. And with your vigor and the vision of your pastor, you merge those things together, your youth and his vision. And God used this church to shake nations. I'm not exaggerating that. I, tell, I stand here the rest of the night and tell you story after story. How one little church, 325 people we got coming most Sundays. 140 of that's bus children and bus adults. So you whittle that down. And we're not a, well, a big old church in Florida. We're just a church that decided if the Lord loves people in Clay County, he loves people over there too. Yeah. And we're going to go and make a difference, make some impact for the gospel globally. And, uh, and so we began to do that. Well, in that period of time, we fell in love. I can, if I had my father and he could express the love he has for his indigenous church planters, he'd be here the rest of the night just telling you how he affectionately loves. He loves American missionaries, and we support American missionaries, but he loves indigenous church planters. That's where his heart is at. That, and, and it grew into that over these last 15 years. Now, let me give you one thought, and then I'll dive into the message. The, I said this at lunch today, and I hope I wanted to say it to you tonight as well. The average American church planter, a missionary that leaves America, he travels to between 180 to 200 countries, or 200 churches, in a period of three years just about, raising his support. The average American church planner going abroad to start churches among independent Baptists requires $6,100 per month to sustain himself, $6,100 a month. Now, you talk to Brother Nelms about those indigenous church planters, and do you realize how many churches you could establish monthly with $6,100? For one single, solitary American missionary to go abroad, Brother Nelm said this to y'all last night, I think it was, 43% of those missionaries that start deputation never finish. Do you understand the amount of waste that goes into that? 
This is just an estimate. This is from surveys taken by independent Baptists. Just an estimate of three years of travel in the U.S. with a family, all the housing and gas and everything, they say is somewhere around $225,000 for one family to do deputation. You understand where $225,000 could be used for the gospel globally? See, it is about a biblical thing. It's about a biblical concept, but it's also about a practical concept. The best investment you can make with every dollar is the indigenous church planter. And I'm saying that as an American missionary. I, I've lived six years in Nigeria, West Africa. So I know the blessing of being able to enjoy mission work as a foreigner in another country and the struggles of it, all of that. But I'm telling you as a Bible-preaching church, if you want the best return on your dollar, you've got to find indigenous church planters. And you've got to find ways to support them. All right, all right. Uh, uh, in 1970, among all the evangelicals in the Western world, there were about 400,000 missionaries scattered around the globe. 400,000. Today, in 2020, that number, so 50 years later, that number's dwindled to about 220,000 missionaries. Now, that doesn't even mean independent Baptists. That's all uh, denominational, all evangelical, everything inclusive. And the, and the workforce has more, more than cut in half while the population is up to 8 billion. So if the Lord loves people like the Bible says he loves the souls of men, then there's got to be a way that we can st that our churches can have a part in world evangelization. And I submit to you that if we can't train enough to send them out, and if young people from America aren't going to go to a foreign land, we find ones that are there and we find ways to help them. And it's exactly what Brother Nelms is. Brother Nelms, he's older than me, but I've oftentimes called him the grandfather of, of the national pastor, the national church planner. Because what he started way back yonder now has been reproduced over and over again in lots of good independent Baptist ministries. And it used to not even be. 25 years ago, when you walked into an independent Baptist church and you looked at the back walls, you couldn't find a national pastor hardly on the back wall. All American families, cute little kids and wives, and all, and there and their, their pictures there. And thank God for them. But today, all across America, you can find some of those same American missionaries' pictures. But you can find indigenous local church planters, and that has been the the, the greatest sending agencies or the greatest sending churches of the whole world in church planting are not coming out of the Western world today. They're coming out of Asia and Latin America. I challenge you to do your homework on that. You'll find the greatest sending church, I'm talking about training their own and send them to start churches, are coming out of Latin America and Asia. And that doesn't mean God's done with us Americans. We still have a part because God's blessed you financially. You can help support local indigenous church planters globally if you'll find ways. And so many people like your pastor is trying to say, well, where do we find these men? And that's where you come along with ministries like ours. I've preached the gospel in 118 countries. Most of those are in the third world. I've met some of the greatest, most, Brother Nelms made this comment earlier this evening. He said, I've learned so much about faith from these local pastors I've met around the world. I have too. I get back on an airplane, come back to America. I feel about that big sometimes because I've been so shocked by the level of faith when us as Americans, we don't normally live by faith pretty much have our comforts and our securities, and we don't want to lose that security. 
So we hold on to things that can we can trust in, we think we can trust in, instead of trusting in the hand of God. Now I want to talk to you tonight out of the book of Titus chapter 3. And th like I said, it's the only church outside of our church I've ever preached this message. So if it's an egg, just blame me, okay? And if you get if I get done, you say, that's the worst sermon I ever heard on a missions conference. Then you blame me. But I'm, I'm, I'm going to preach it and teach it because I think that it will help you understand the concept. On Sunday, I'm going to talk to you about the indigenous pastor more. But tonight, I really want to take this time and talk to you about why you should see yourself as a missionary. What you've been doing down in Honduras uh, on some of those, how many of you went to Honduras before in the, in the missions trip down there? All right, how many in this room have ever crossed the ocean, Atlantic or Pacific, on a mission trip, not with the military, on a mission trip? You've been on a mission trip, you've crossed the Atlantic or the Pacific, all right, uh, on a mission trip. Okay, now now what I'm, what I'm suggesting to you tonight is that there come a day when these young men that are sitting right here can be on an airplane crossing the ocean representing the gospel in your local church. That's what I'm suggesting. It is the difference between having the neighbor's kid in Iraq and having your own kid. You one thing to say, pray for my neighbor's kid. He's over in Afghanistan. If it's your child, you're walking the floor at night. You're fervently praying. When you send your own members out, I'll be leaving next uh, Thursday going to Tajikistan to preach to Afghani refugees, and I'll gather at the altar next Wednesday night. Uh, this coming Wednesday night, I'll be gathered at the altar in Middleburg, and the whole of our church will gather around me and lay their hands on me. And I'll be gone for a month preaching the gospel. And, and uh, Brother Daniel Dawson, one of our members, he's going to join me down in the Congo my last week. And, and while we're away, our church is going to be praying. And they're sending me there. There's this word that we've floated around uh, Independent Baptist Church and other uh, ministries as well, and we call the word deputation. And some people hear that word, and we assume they know what it means, but they don't know what it means. I want to talk to you about deputies, deputies of the local church tonight. And I want us to stand and read one verse of Scripture out of the book of Titus in chapter number 3, Titus chapter 3. And verse number 13, and then we'll have our prayer after we read this one verse. You can join me out loud as we read this verse of scripture. Ready? Bring Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their journey diligently that nothing be wanting unto them. And I want you to notice those two names, Zenos and Apollos. And uh, Paul is, of course, the author under the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Uh, and he's writing to young preacher Titus, and he's telling him about this man, Zenos, who's a Roman lawyer. You've also read in the Bible about this man, Apollos. Remember that? Uh, uh, I'm of Apollos. Remember how Paul spoke to the church? I'm, I'm of Paul. I'm of Apollos. Uh, and, uh, and so you've heard a little bit about Apollos. You've never heard of the name Zenos outside of this portion of Scripture. And I'm calling them the deputies of the local church. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Our Father, we, we're thankful for the Anchor Baptist Church, and we're thankful for Pastor Bell and this ministry and how that he stayed faithful all of these years. The average person, even in a good church like this, can't fathom what it's like to, to uh, travail in birth uh, as a woman having a child to bring about a local church and how that even three decades have passed and he has stayed faithful and true. No doubt him and 
Mrs. Bell have wondered many a times through the years, could they keep on being in the place where God has planted them? But we're thankful tonight for their faithfulness. I, for one, know the, the, the struggles of a pastor from inside the home of a preacher. And I thank you for men of God that don't sway from the truth, that live for you in spite of the difficulties. And we're thankful for this church that sets up here in this place as a haven, as a beacon of hope in Columbus. May it be a church that uh, continues to reach their own community locally. And may in this missions conference, oh God, I pray in this missions conference, their vision would expand beyond their borders of Columbus, uh, far beyond their region of Ohio, and may it go even to places where they wouldn't be able to pronounce the name of the city or the town or the country. May even out of this message tonight, there one day be a young man that jumps off an airplane and walks into a small village somewhere, stands up on a rock or some sort of platform and preaches the gospel of Jesus to a crowd that's maybe never heard a plain, unadulterated version of the gospel. Help us, Lord, to have your spirit, your blessing upon our simple thoughts. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. You may be seated. Titus, Titus was a convert of the apostle Paul. If you were to read the book of Acts chapter 2 at the day of Pentecost, you can see how there were Cretans that were saved. The, the island of Crete, according to church historians, had somewhere near 300,000 inhabitants. It's even been suggested that there were 35 or so local uh, churches on the island. The Bible speaks about every city or every town. And, uh, and uh, so Paul was writing to, to young Titus, his preacher boy, and uh, he was in Greece at the time in a place called Nicopolis, and Paul was writing to uh, young Titus, and he was encouraging him in the ministry. It's considered a pastoral epistle. You know, First and Second Timothy and Titus are all the pastoral letters of the Apostle Paul, of the 13 books of the New Testament that he wrote. These were specifically written to young pastors, Timothy and Titus, that he had trained. And he, and he said in chapter 1, if you look back in verse number 11 of chapter 1, he begins to even, Paul begins to describe uh, this church that I believe he helped plant, and, he, and he's speaking to Titus now as he's no longer on the island, and he says, uh, uh, whose mouths must be stopped, verse 11, who subvert whole houses, teaching things which they ought not for filthy lucre's sake. One of them, even a prophet of their own, said, the Cretans are always liars. How'd you like to be described under those terms? Evil beast, slow bellies. Sound like some people down in the town where I'm from in Middleburg when you're trying to talk to them about the scriptures. This witness is true. Wherefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be of sound, uh, be, of, be sound in the faith. And in verse number five of uh, chapter one, Paul said, uh, uh, for this cause left I thee in Crete and that thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting, and notice this next phrase, and ordain elders in every city. And, that, and that's where you get the idea that there were probably 35, uh, at least 35 churches because he was commanded to ordain elders in every city. And they say that there were about 35 major cities on the island of 
of Crete. And so if there was elders ordained, there had to be local churches there. And so uh, in, uh, in verse 5, he talks about uh, those. And, and then uh, in chapter 3 that we read, it, it said that, uh, he, that he wanted the churches, that the churches rather had a responsibility to these two young men that were their preacher boys. It said, bring Zenos, this is chapter 3, verse 13, bring Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their journey diligently. And I want you to underline that phrase. Bring, bring Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their, on their journey uh, diligently. Um, Apollos was an Egyptian from Alexandria. Alexandria, I've preached in independent Baptist churches in the city of Alexandria, you know, uh, uh, Egypt. We, we don't fully appreciate what we have in America when we talk about religious freedoms and things that we've enjoyed all of our life. Many of the places I preached at in Cairo and in the, in the south of, uh, of Cairo, a place called Elmenia, uh, come to church every, every service and have arms, uh, armed uh, uh, soldiers and, and security at the front door with AK-47s. I preached one time in Elmenia uh, at a Baptist church, and when I got there, they were making everybody pass through a security zone where they'd frisk them. And then they let them inside, and they had a glass, uh, a bulletproof uh, glass at the front where the pulpit's at. Man, I preached that sermon that down, down here that night. But there are a lot of places in the world where people risk their lives just to show up holding a Bible in the church house, just to walk down the street on their way to the church house. And, and you ought to always appreciate what the Lord has given you to live in a free nation where you can go, not just so you can go work a job, thank God for the ability to have a, an economy, but also thank God for the ability to come and worship the Lord openly. And there are a lot of people in this world that don't enjoy those freedoms. I, I teared up watching the ministry in Pakistan last night as I was in Pakistan about a year ago in a place in Lahore called Yohanabad. And on the same road where the church that I preached at was, they got a Bible school upstairs with about 35 students called Bible Baptist Church and Seminary of Lahore, Pakistan, and downstairs the auditorium, and Pastor Asher Shazad has pastored that church for about 20 plus years. He was won to Christ by a Canadian independent Baptist preacher and who's now in heaven, but Pastor Shazad began to pastor that church, and now out of that church has sprang 22 new churches in that region, as far away as Faisalabad, and even one that's over towards the Afghani border, but most of them within that Punjab region, and, uh, and, and while I was there preaching, I was going down the street one day, and I saw a whole, on the same road, probably the far distance of a football field or so, on the same road, there was a, an Anglican church there. And on the front of that Anglican church, there were pictures of martyrs. That a man, the pastor explained to me how that they have church there on Sunday in Pakistan, not like the usual Arab-speaking countries where it's mostly Fridays. And, uh, and, but, but on Sunday, on Sunday after church was dismissing, some years back now, uh, a suicide bomber showed up in front of that church and blew himself up and killed several of the parishioners. 
Now, how'd you like to go to church every Sunday and just down the street live in the fear of someone meeting you on the outside with some sort of automatic machine gun or blowing themselves up? We better thank God for what God has given each of us. And don't get used to it because it may not always be there. It may not always be there. And so Zenos and Apollos were... Um, were, were, were sent off the island of Crete, and the Bible said, bring Zenos, the lawyer, and Apollos on their journey diligently. Now, now let, let me explain something out of that verse that I want you to catch before I go into the outline that I have for you tonight. Uh, there's a word that's used eight times in the New Testament. I want you to lodge this word in your memory bank. It is the Greek word propempo, propempo. It's trans, I'm going to read down every scripture where it's translated in the New Testament and let you get an ear for what it sounds like in each verse, okay? The word's propempo. That's the word that, that, that where you get the phrase, bring on their journey. In, in, in the verse we just read, in chapter 3, verse 13. To bring on their journey is the word propempo. I'm talking tonight about your responsibility as a local church in missions. Propempo. Bring these two deputies. And you know what deputies are? Y'all watch Andy Griffith? Barney Five is a deputy, right? And the idea of someone being a deputy is he is commissioned by another entity to do, carry out his responsibility for, on behalf. So when someone comes in here and says, I'm on deputation raising support, what, what God is uh, wanting to do is to use your church to deputize that missionary to be your missionary, your representative over in that region of the world planting indigenous churches. That, that's the idea of deputation. But that word deputize has the idea of bringing them on their journey. The word propempo it, it, has, it has the idea of to, to bring forward, to send forth, bring forward, send forth. By the way, did you know this? This is a missions conference, and y'all know where the word missionary is used in the Bible? It's never used. It's never used. The word missionary that we're so accustomed to uh, is never used in the pages of the writ. But, but it, the idea is used over and over. It's sort of like the word rapture is never used in the Bible. But the, but the concept of the rapture is, is taught over and over in the scriptures. Uh, there, there's another word, and I'm not going to dive into this because I'm not even smart enough to talk about it. But the word that we use for the word apostle comes from a Greek word apostolos. And the word apostolos, when it's talking about Paul, it talks about Matthew, it talks about those apostles. It is the word apostolos, and it means one sent. One sent. That, that's what it means. By the way, not every time in the New Testament you find the word apostolos is referring to the office of an apostle. Because if you're like most Baptist churches, you don't believe in the current modern apostle. Right? You don't believe it. Uh, but the idea of apostolos is in the scriptures, and it's meant for you. For, for example, uh, in the book of Philippians chapter 2, when, when the Bible's talking about the word Epaphroditus, or the name, the man Epaphroditus, remember Epaphroditus? He traveled 800 miles down from Philippi to Rome to bring a gift from the local church to Paul while he was incarcerated. 
And the Bible says, God, uh, Paul talks about him, and he calls him your messenger. It says to his home church, he's your messenger. And the word messenger is the word apostolos. So he was the unapostle apostle. You got it? He did not have the title, and, and titles are highly overrated. God's more concerned about what you do than what they call you. You understand that? So Epaphroditus was sent out by his local church, and that's the work of an apostle. And that's the work of a missionary. He's the sent one. Taking the gospel from where it has been preached to a place where it's either never been preached or not preached very much. He's never stationary. He's traveling to places to take the unsearchable riches of Christ and help the gospel expand. That's what he does. That's what these two men were that we read about in Titus 3. They, they, this Zenos and Apollos, they were young missionaries, but they were deputies of the church. So this word propempo, send forth, bring forward, we see it there in Titus 3.13. If you're taking notes, write this down. You go and study on your own. Acts 15.3. Acts 15.3. And being brought on their way by the church. Propempo. Being brought on their way. That's referring to Paul and Barnabas. And on their missionary journey, remember, they were sent out of the church at Antioch. And then they were returning home. And they were going to give a report back to their home church on how the journey went. That's what missionaries do. They go out. They preach the gospel. They start new churches. Then they come back and report to their local churches. Uh, here's another verse out of the book of Acts chapter 20 and verse 38. Acts 20, 38. And they accompanied him unto the ship. Talking about Paul when he was departing from Ephesus. They accompanied him. The phrase accompanied is propempo. They sent him forth. They brought him on his way. Uh, Acts 21 and verse number 5. Acts 21 verse 5. They all brought us on our way. When Paul was leaving the city of Tyre, they brought us. They didn't stand up. Goodbye. That's not just talking about. They met them down at the seashore and they waved goodbye to them. They helped get them to the next place. That's the idea. Uh, in the book of Romans chapter 15, verse 24, Romans 15, 24, to be brought on my way thitherward by you. Propempo, brought on my way by you. Paul, speaking of his desire to visit the churches in Rome, said that. 1 Corinthians 16, verse 6, 1 Corinthians 16, verse 6, that ye may bring me on my journey whithersoever I go. Paul said to the church at Corinth, he speaks to them about his desire to stay with them in the winter and travel afterwards, and he said, being to bring me on my journey. Propimpo, propimpo, 1 Corinthians 16, verse 11, conduct him forth in peace. Paul speaking about young Timotheus to the church at Corinth, and he says, conduct him forth. Propimpo, conduct him forth. The church's responsibility, send forth. The church's obligation, bring them forth. Uh, uh, 
look at uh, or take note of this, 2 Corinthians 1.16, of you to be brought on my way towards Judea. Paul writes to the church at Corinth and speaks of a second time, a coming a second time and having them send him forth to Judea. And so brought on my way. And lastly, and you made reference this for church, 3 John 1.6, when it, whom if thou bring forward on their way after godly sort, thou shalt do well. These young missionaries traveling through, and, uh, and, and John writes to Pastor Gaius about how the church should care for the traveling missionary. All of those eight times are where you find the phrase propempo in the Bible. So statement number one, deputizing or deputation is a biblical concept. It's something found in the pages of the Bible that the local church had an obligation to. And it was to the traveling missionary, the church planter. Number two, Jesus was the first deputy of the Father. In John 20, familiar verses, verse 21 to 23, and then said Jesus unto them again, Peace be unto you as my Father hath sent me. That's the idea. You're sending forth a missionary. Jesus being the first missionary sent from the Father. Number two, or number three, Jesus deputized his disciples. In John 20, verse number 21, he continued, Even so send I you. We sing that song, so send I you. Right? So the Lord was our example of being sent forth. And now you and I, as missionaries, are to be sent forth. As missionaries. In Matthew chapter number 10 and verse 16, it says, Behold, I, Jesus said, Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. When you go out on your bus route on Saturday, you're not just representing yourself. You're representing the gospel. You're representing the Lord Jesus in heaven. But you're representing the Anchor Baptist Church. You're representing the King of Kings in heaven. But you're representing your New Testament Baptist Church. You're sent forth locally. But God wants you to be sent forth more than just Columbus. That's what this message about tonight. I hope that maybe one or two of you sitting here will get such a passion to say, I'm going to expand my bus route across the Atlantic. Now, you may not bring them here to church on Sunday. That'd be a tough swim. But you can say, by the grace of God, we're going to win people on foreign soil where they desperately need Jesus. I'm going to have a part in it. Number four, the church at Antioch deputized Saul and Barnabas. You ought to dissect. I heard the best Bible study about two months ago at our church in Florida by missionary Rick Martin on the chapter, oh, you ought to go back and find it on our website and listen to it about two months ago, and he taught the, the entire chapter of Acts chapter 13. That chapter helps you, and those chapters surrounding that chapter helps you to understand the role in the local church of the missionary and your responsibility as Anchor Baptist Church. In Acts chapter 13, verse 2 and 3, they ministered the Lord and fasted, and as they ministered, the Lord fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. 
There, as Pastor said in in, uh, in uh, chapel this morning, there is a call of God. Amen. You better know if you're going to go preach the gospel globally that you're called of God to do so. Amen. Don't just wing it and go out there and come back licking your wounds. You're going to have plenty of wounds, but when you get out there and things fall apart, you better know the call of God is upon you. So I'm not saying that, that it's made for everybody to go and plant churches globally. I'm just saying if God lays his hand on you and calls you to the ministry, don't be afraid of the call of God. Amen. You don't have to have all the talent. Look at me. You don't have to have all the looks. Look at these guys. You don't, listen, you don't have to have all the knowledge of the word of God. You've just got to be obedient. Amen. Whom shall I send and who will go for us? be sure of the call of God. Saul and Barnabas here, we read, were called by the Holy Spirit. Then it says, and when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. So they were sent by the Holy Ghost, but they were also sent by their local church. And those two things are supposed to agree. Don't be one of these Christians say, well, the Lord's been dealing with my heart, Pastor, and I know you don't agree with me, but I'm just going to go do this because God laid it on my heart. The, God laid it on our heart becomes a cop-out for anything. Yeah. Did it ever occur to you that you don't have the wisdom of someone who served the Lord in ministry for years and years? Here's, here, here's how the average church member counsels in independent fundamental Baptist churches. They, they, they go amongst themselves like sheep, and, bah, bah, and they ask all their friends that they think will agree with them, what do you think? They conclude on what they're going to do, and then they show up at the preacher's office and hope to get his rubber stamp. And that's completely backwards. The Lord is the great shepherd. He's the under-shepherd. And when you're making crucial decisions in your future and in your life, you need the blessings of God upon it, and you ought to have enough sense to go to people who have wisdom. And not just unilaterally make decisions and then come back smarting for it 20 years later saying, boy, that's a bad one. Now, I don't mean that bad stuff's not going to happen. As I said, you can be in the will of God, and the devil shoots arrows at you and darts at you and cause you to be discouraged and defeated, but you ought to, with good advice, make war. Good advice, make war. And the church at uh, Antioch sent these preacher boys out, but it was the Holy Spirit of God that sent them out too. And so uh, they laid their hands on them and sent them away. And then, uh, and then number five, the work of every local church is to deputize their own. Quit waiting for some fellow to show up from a Bible college you've never even been to and ask for your support. In God's dear name, find people on these benches tonight and send your own out. I'm saying it as a guest preacher. And I, 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 I believe in men that come into churches and need support from various churches to be able to get to the field because it would be awfully hard to do it on the back financial back of one church. But, but, but don't pawn off your responsibility to some church across town. You have the responsibility. It's as if Jesus was standing in front of your church in Matthew 28 and said, go ye therefore. Because the commission was to a local church. It was to the members of that church. There was, it wasn't a mega church either. It will be 120 folks according to Acts 1. But Jesus said to that church, go ye into all the world. 
you've got to begin to see yourself differently. Sometimes we, we're our worst enemy. We, so my, my dad said to me one time, I was out on the basketball court in back of our church in Florida where I grew up as a teenage boy. Those people at Middleburg, they've known me since I was about 15 years of age. I mean, I had a big old head of hair like this. It looked beautiful. But I was out there playing with my basketball shorts on, had my tank top on, shooting it up. I wasn't even a good ball player. I was a pretend ball player. I was out there shooting with some of the area neighborhood kids, and my dad showed up one day. I'd already answered the call of God when I was 15, so he came up to me, and he said, uh, when you, are you, are you going to be a preacher? And I said, yes, sir, yes, sir. He said this to me directly, at, at, beside the basketball court. He said, when are you going to start being a preacher? What he's trying to do is trying to get me to help me to see myself as the man of God, not just in how I was dressed, but how I conducted myself. And sometimes we have such small tunnel vision that, that we don't see ourselves as God sees us. God sees our great potential, what we can become. You've got to start seeing yourself and your members here as missionaries. People that are going to traverse across the world taking the gospel to unknown places where they need Jesus. You've got to be, stop being small-minded and say, well, these 12 blocks are my bus route. No, see a corner of the world as your region of the globe. Pray for that region. Learn about that region. Don't you know that when I started this thing off with our ministry out of Florida 15 years ago, I never heard a walk of doo doo I'm going to be preaching on next uh, Saturday, Sunday. I'm going to be preaching in a place called Dushanbe. I never heard of Dushanbe. I barely, I heard people talk about the stand countries. I, I've been to Pakistan. I've been to a couple of those places over there. I, I've never been to Kazakhstan, Kyrgyzstan, Tajikistan. But in that region of the world, in those little three countries right there, there's an enormous population and less, less than 1% of the people claim any Christianity. Primarily, Muslim communities dying without Jesus and going to hell. Go online tonight and look for missionary Tajikistan. Just Google it. You can put it in and Google missionary Brazil was talking about last night. You can Google missionary, and I know some of them it's because it's English Google, but they do have this thing called Google Translate. And it comes in mighty handy. But go and Google a search for missionaries in Tripoli, Libya. Number one, they ain't going to put their stuff out there if they are there. But search and search and search, and you'll be hard-pressed to find one single independent Baptist. That's a crying shame. They know all about Coca-Cola, Nike sneakers, and don't know the plan of salvation. As I said to the young people in Christian school this morning, shame on you. Shame on us for not letting the world know about Jesus. So you've got to decide what we're going to do. You've got to see yourself as a missionary. The deputation, the work of every local church is to deputize their own. I'll give you three thoughts or four thoughts and then I'll finish. Number one, when it becomes the local church's role, it initiates authority. The authority is not in you and me. It's in the scripture, of course. But the authority on God's earth is the local church. 
the local church. In the book of John, chapter 20, verse 23, and whosoever, I don't even understand this verse, really. I'm going to read it to you. And whosoever sins ye remit, they are remitted unto them. And whosoever sins ye retain, they are retained. Now, go home and do a study on that verse. What I do know is that God gave great authority to the local church. The local church, not parachurch organizations, not just ministries. There are a lot of those local church. See, the local church has the responsibility to carry the gospel. Local church has the responsibility. Your local church is empowered by God and obligated to God to take the gospel to the end of the world. And that's Bible. Number two. Number two. It involves surrender. In other words, when you deputize your own, your own, it involves surrender. I'm not standing up here this morning trying to tell you that the last 15 years of our church doing this has been a bed of roses. I've come back many, many, many times deathly ill. I've had malaria several times. I've had typhoid fever. People in our church have come through great crises that have been a part of this ministry. There is a cost to pay for serving God. It won't be the same for everybody, but you're going to pay a price if you're going to serve God with your life. Don't just jump into the ministry because it looks fun. You're going to pay a price. I was up preaching in Kenya, Brother Nelms, uh, a couple of years ago, and I finished showing a Jesus film one night, and I had a young man, a, a brother named Timothy Nganza, going to drop me at the little guest house I was staying at. And when he pulled up to the guest house, I was just telling him good night and so forth. It was about 10, 11 o'clock at night, and I was about to get out of the car, and I noticed my word was starting to come out like Daffy Duck a little bit. And I got out, and I went into the guest house, and I knew something was wrong with me. I felt weird. And when I, when I got inside... I even messaged my wife and I said, something is wrong with me physically. Of course, being a time change, I didn't hear back from her that evening. I woke up on, that was a Saturday night. I woke up on Sunday morning and this half of my, you go on and see videos of me if you have Facebook, this half of my face went completely palsy. I tried to drink mango juice that morning for breakfast and it came out the side of my mouth like that. When I talked to thought I'd had a stroke. That was a normal thing. The problem was is my, my limbs were all good. And I said, something is wrong with me. I was supposed to preach in three independent Baptist churches that Sunday morning, and I knew I couldn't do that. I was in Eldoret, Kenya, and they took me to an, a, a hospital where the head guy was an Indian, and he ran some tests on me, and lo and behold, I found out there in that little place, well, it's a big city in, in Kenya, they had an MRI machine. And they stuck me back in the MRI machine to check me out up here to make sure. When my mother was almost my age, she almost died of an aneurysm. So this was in my brain as I'm thinking of that day. I'm away from my family, away from my wife, away from my home church. And it's two years ago. And I, and I was nervous, maybe two and a half years ago. I was nervous of what was going to happen. I got inside. And they must not get the big size MRIs in, in, in Africa because this tunnel was about this big and I was about this big. They slid me back in that, like toothpaste coming out the tube. They slid me back in there, and I'm, I'm already claustrophobic. And I'm lying, laying inside that MRI machine, and here's what I'm thinking. They're going to pull me out of here and get brain surgery. They're going to rush me in, and, and some African doctor's going to have me cut open right here. I'm, I'm, I might not be going back to see my wife again. I got four grandkids. I may never see them again. 
while I'm in there, the Holy Spirit of God, I just happened two times in my life, and I'm not trying to speak down. Two times in my life, I felt the overwhelming peace of God. I can tell you about the first one, but don't have time tonight. What I mean by that is I've often had peace. I have peace tonight. But the peace that passes understanding, I've known two times in my life. The Holy Spirit of God whispered in my ear while I was inside that MRI machine, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. And when I thought of Hebrews 13, 5, I had such a peace, Brother Melms, I'm not exaggerating, I could have cared less if God took me to heaven or back to hell right now. I wanted to do what God wanted me to do. And I came back to America, and sure enough, they told me, you got Mel's palsy. So for about three months, I walked around not moving a while. My muscles started, my wife would hook these electrodes up to me and try to shock me and get those muscles back alive and that nerves back alive. And finally, I got my ability to preach back. I thank God for it because some people live with it the rest of their life. What, I, what I'm trying to say to you tonight is that, that you, you, there's a price to pay for serving Jesus. But, but here's the beauty. The local church gives you the authority of heaven. Number two, number two, it involves surrender. The story's told of uh, J. Wilbur Chapman went to England to chase down General William Booth. Y'all know the name General William Booth, Salvation Army. And Booth was a preacher of the gospel. And he walked into Booth's office in his later years, and he said to, Chapman said to Booth, what is the secret to your ministry? And Booth began to tear up as he began to try to answer the question. And he made these comments. I want to read them to you. I will tell you the secret. God has had all there was of me. There have been men with greater brains than I, men with greater opportunities, but from the day that I got the poor of London on my heart and a vision of what Jesus Christ could do with the poor of London, I made up my mind that God would have all of William Booth. He went on to say, the greatness of a man's power is the measure of his surrender. You don't have to have intellect when you know you've got God. You've got to have surrender. Isaiah 6, 1, And I heard a voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And then he said, I hear my am. Send me. Paul the Apostle said in 1 Timothy 1, 12, And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who hath enabled me, for he hath counted me faithful. If you're not faithful, don't ask God to do something greater with you. He counted me faithful, putting me in the ministry. Number three concerning this deputizing your own. It includes prayer. Acts 13, 3, And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. John R. Rice said, All of our failures are prayer failures. All of our failures. Listen, when a missionary comes back off the field to America and it seems as if he's just sort of thrown up his hands and quit, don't point your old snooty finger at him and say, How could you turn away from the call of God? You must ask yourself, Have I been praying for that man? How could you be praying for his family if you don't know his wife's name? You can't tell us. The average independent Baptist church can't, you couldn't name five missionaries you support hardly off the top of your head. We decided to change that in Middlebury a few years ago. I was on a, a web uh, sermon during COVID time, and uh, I was preaching to a church down in St. Martin where I'd been to a few years before with my wife, and I preached at that church, Bible Baptist Church, St. Martin. As an old preacher, been there 40 years pastoring that church, a local man. 
and while I was preaching there that night, I finished my sermon. Of course, under the days of COVID, you have to understand, if you're a preacher of the gospel, you're preaching to computer screens. And that doesn't really inspire you too much. You know, you just you see a few faces pop up on Zoom, and it just doesn't do much for you. When I finished preaching, the local preacher said, now, Brother Tim, we're going to have us what we call our prayer round the world. And probably for the next 30 minutes, he went nation by nation from memory, as far as I know, and began to pray for people of the world to be saved. I got off that, that day, and I said, we're going to start praying for our missionaries in California. We get our senior citizens together every Tuesday for about an hour, 45 minutes to an hour, and we read four of our letters, and then they take time praying. You'd be surprised what one little simple routine like that will do to inform the church of the needs of those missionaries. And then we rotate another four the next week. We call it our call ministry, prayer around the world ministry. And those folks, many of them don't have the energy of some of y'all young people, but they can get together and pray. And they pray fervently. They pray with tears in their eyes. They pray with, with a whisper on their lips, asking God to bless these men and women that are traveling outside of their own communities and crossing the ocean for the gospel's sake. And it has connected our church spiritually with the missionaries we support. So part of this involves prayer. And then lastly, I'll just say this. It incites partnership. Paul said in Philippians chapter 1, verse 3 to 5, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making requests with joy, for your fellowship, fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. Um, we call William Carey the, the uh, uh, father of modern missions. He went to India in 1793. And, uh, of course, he was not a well-off preacher, but you remember the story of him. He stayed for 40 years in Sarampur. He, uh, I've been at, Brother Nelms, I've been to the church in Calcutta called, there's two of them. One of them is called the Cary Baptist Church. When you walk into Cary Baptist Church, there's a baptistry over to the right side, a big old balcony. It's an old building, got big old pillars outside. And then in the back wall, it has a baptistry against the wall, and it has a plaque next to that baptistry. And it claims that when Adoniram and Ann Judson came, remember they were Congregationalists and went to India to work with Cary, and on the way there became convinced that baptism was by immersion. So when they got to India, they were baptized in that old church building that's still standing there today, and it says this is where Ann and Adonai Judson were baptized. And what a great, remarkable thing even to be there and see that place. But Kerry stayed for 40 years and never had a furlough. They say that Kerry, with his printing press in Sarampur, put the gospel into over 200,000 prints, and the work of translation was phenomenal by Kerry and those that worked with him. He was somewhat of a, of a weird character in that his family was dysfunctional. His first wife was clinically insane, Dorothy. Read about it. She had chased her children and her husband to the house with a butcher knife. At times had to be locked up in a room, isolated, for she might harm herself or others. His children walked up and down the streets, and the missionaries that were there with him would sort of criticize him and say, if he isn't going to take care of his family, they ought to be on the mission field. But we revere him today because he's dead. He did great exploits for God. He, he made a difference in the Hindi tribe of the world and other places throughout that entire regional world made an eternal impact for the gospel's sake. 
But listen, when he left England, he gathered these preachers together and told them he was going, and I won't read it all to you for sake of time, but he went forward, he said, as he went forth, it was said of him by a man named Andrew Fuller that was there, as he went forth in the society's name, they all claimed they were going to support him and, and, and help him when he was in India preaching the gospel, and Fuller said, as he went forth in the society's name and their masters, that they should never cease till death to stand by him. And Fuller said, uh, uh, Carey said as he departed, well, I will go down if you will hold the rope. signing a check and putting it in the mail and sending it to a missionary. Propempo is finding partnership on how we're going to help the gospel to expand in that region. It involves prayer, yes. It involves giving, yes. But it's you as a local church looking for ways to develop deep relationships with those that you're sending out and partner with them as they take the gospel to the ends of the world. I recommend to you this week that you not only begin to heavily consider supporting indigenous pastors, as you'll hear Brother Nelms and myself talk about, but I recommend to you that you turn your church membership into missionaries. If a church in Florida can send the gospel to its own members, 76 of them, 76 members of our church have gone across the ocean, many of them multiple, multiple times, to a see by God's dear grace 232,000 people saved and your church can decide we're going to break off a piece of the world 